I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs! And feel the power! It's a new day, yes it is! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model with Mr. Rob Barron, and the home of your Pac-12 gambling advice with Mr. Max Meyer from William Hill. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And we continue to roll on. We're not going to talk a lot about the coronavirus. I've listened to like a million podcasts that talk about it for 15 minutes before they start. But stay safe out there. I hope everyone's fine. Want to make sure to continue to record weekly because there is a lot of football to talk about. And we're going to break down the uh, running back situations of every Pac-12 team and talk a little bit about how the financial situation of not having a billion dollars of NCAA revenue can impact the the Conference of Champions as we move into this coming season and, and subsequent seasons. And I am joined, as always, by Mr. Max Meyer. What's going on, Max? Not much. Uh, I only have one. Well, I, I'll limit my corona complaining because I am in the epicenter here in New York City. Uh, but other than that, just uh, keeping a lookout for uh, college football upcoming lines. Yeah, and uh, some cool announcements from William Hill on that front that we'll either get to at the end of this podcast or we'll release a second podcast um, about those. So really excited to talk about those. And, of course, Mr. Rob Barron, who has all the season win totals up on sharpcollegefootball.com and is on the podcast. What's up, Rob? Uh, not much. How you doing? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm like, I, it's, I'm actually so busy right now. It's unbelievable. My, <laughs> I don't know about you, I'm doing more work for my job right now than I was when I was going into the office. So like, it's a bit of a blur right now. Right on. Yeah. But a lot of time to work and then also take a break. So appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. If you're new, you can follow us at 12-Pack Radio, 1-2-P-A-C Radio, and you can subscribe to the podcast for free. Guys, let's talk Pac-12 football here. Last week, if you hadn't listened to the podcast, we were breaking down every team's quarterback situation and walking through and ranking them and actually received some like decent feedback and no bad feedback, which I was really surprised about. And I know a decent number of people listen to the podcast because they see the download numbers. So I think that was a good indication of uh, listeners understanding that Obviously, new teams are going to have different units come in and different players. So this this week, as we walk through each team's running back situation and rank them, I think, guys, an even better improvement on that is to group these into, like, you know, group A, B, and C. Um, and knowing that some teams are going to have some unknowns and it's a little bit more difficult to see who's going to step up because um, sometimes you just never know whether or not the new recruits are going to um, come to fruition in terms of their talent or um, if they're going to take a step back. And uh, But still a lot of talent in the Pac-12, Max. Wanted to open it up with you. What was your impression when you were taking a look at the talent that returns for the 2020 season? Yeah, so admittedly, um, I guess – 
running back room is going to be graded higher more than individual talents. But there are there are quite a few teams where if the first option goes down, that they have a very serviceable uh, backup or backups at tailback. So I was pleasantly surprised by the depth uh, of some of the teams. I really liked on the offensive side, usually the Pac-12 will have excellent skill position players. And last year and a couple other years, there I mean, we were just loaded from top to bottom with running back talent. But still, Rob, I think there's enough coming back and then some really promising players coming in as 2020 freshmen that might be able to see the field. Yeah, I mean, if you look at running back, I think it's one of the strengths of the Pac-12 coming into this season. Last year was a bit of a down year for returners in the Pac-12. Um a running back and this year there's a lot of talent I, I i mean running back's not what it used to be <laughs> as far as importance in football goes um but it's definitely a position of strength i think for a lot of these pac-12 schools even the ones that are going to be throwing the ball a lot of the time i think you even look at a team like teams like usc and washington state and and they've got a lot you know some really talented backs particularly if they can start getting out and making some receptions too yeah, let's talk about the first tier here, and um, we'll try to rank them one to three or one to four, however long that cutoff is. But I think tiering them will kind of be able to provide, like, paint a better picture of what teams are in a really good spot and what teams we're not certain about, and what teams um, may be pretty bad coming into this this year. Max, what wh- who would you rank number one in terms of the running back situation? And as we talk about situation, we're putting more of a heavy weight on the starter, but also knowing, like you mentioned a lot of these teams are going to have one or two three-headed monsters when they're hitting the field. Yeah, so admittedly, the number one running back room doesn't have my number one running back overall in the conference, but the top running back in this room is still number two for me, and I really like uh, the rest of their situation. So I'm going with Oregon first. Uh, C.J. Verdell uh, and Travis Dye, I mean, they, they played each played such a big part. Last year, Verdell obviously had the monster – uh, Pac-12 title game against Utah, and Die. I mean, he did have a he did have some fumbling issues, but I still think that he uh, his pass catching ability definitely brings out uh, some added elements into the offense, and he can also carry the ball nicely too, as long as he can hold on to it. But yeah, I mean, Oregon has a lot of depth, and I think that they're going to have to lean on their running backs more especially early on in the season as they break in a new quarterback yeah they lose third stringer Darian Felix but I don't think that matters frankly when you take a look at the talent that's coming up CJ Verdell Travis Dye the one two you also have Cyrus uh, Habibi Likio who is that that touchdown vulture that you always look for in these fantasy teams of just always give him the ball when it's third and third and goal you know with on the three yard line or whatever he had 10 touchdowns last year cj verdell ran for 1200 yards he averaged 6.2 yards per carry eight touchdowns and this rob i mean it'll be interesting to see what joe moorhead does with the um the offensive system but certainly you're gonna i mean you have a head coach that's gonna want to pound the ball and uh, certainly a really strong one-two punch to do that no, and I think that you can see with Oregon this year, like with everything they're replacing on the offensive line other than Sewell, I, I think you could see some fall off. I know a lot of Oregon fans um, really like what they're bringing in to replace on the offensive line, but uh, you sort of still need to see these guys play a lot to uh, and play together to, to have faith. But I do think that Moorhead's going to find ways to get these guys the ball, um, and Oregon may may run more outside the tackles. Um, this season too, but they're they're they should be effective and be able to get the ball going. Moorhead's too smart of a guy not to, to be able to use this many talented backs. 
Yeah, outside the top three, another guy to keep an eye out for who didn't see the field a ton and I think was able to keep his red shirt. Correct me if I'm wrong. By the way, like as, as we were doing all the research on this, m- since the cancellation of spring practice, uh, also came the cancellation of spring preview. So we did our best to make sure to take as deep a dive as possible into each team's running back situation. But most of that stuff's behind like the 24-7 paywall. And frankly, I'm not paying for every team's 247 website. Um, so we're pretty sure we have most of this stuff down. If there's any mistakes that we make, please let us know. We'll make sure to correct them. But I'm pretty sure we have a pretty good handle on that. Um, with that said, Sean Dollars was the number two running back of the 2020 class. He had offers from LSU, Georgia, USC, and Washington. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much of the field he sees this coming year. Um, But really, overall, a solid core of running backs coming out of Oregon. Rob, who would you rank number two? Number two is a tough one for me. I mean, there's some players I really like um, that I might rate individually higher. But I think you have when you look at everybody that's coming back, um, even with the struggles in the offensive line that they have, I, I think USC has a really talented stable of backs with Malapai, Carr, and, and Marquis Step. Um, and Marquis Step, I think, is going to get the ball, you know, quite a bit, um, you know, this year too. Like they they've got a lot of talent. Um, yeah, like it's not somebody that I like. They they still ran the ball a fair amount. Um, they weren't as effective behind the offensive line as you would have liked, but. Uh, I think USC, if you look at the actual talent in the room, I, I think that they've got a, a really solid group of guys. Yeah, and Keaton Kristen there, who was just yeah. super, super fast. And the one thing with him is anytime somebody touched him, he fell down. <laughs> that was the one thing. You probably have to work on that strength, but to come out with a pop as a true freshman was pretty impressive. Max, you're the USC expert. I was surprised. I was looking at the recruiting and what they've been able to do. They only recruited two running backs in the last three years, so a pretty senior, you know, upperclassman-heavy program uh, in terms of their running backs at least right now but that's a strength this year not not a bug yeah i mean keaton Kristen. i mean he, he was a freshman last year and I, and actually i think he might have red shirt i think he played uh four games or less if i'm not mistaken um but yeah i mean just so much talent in that room i mean stephen carr uh, injury injuries have been a, a problem with him but he was he i mean he I thought that he could be like a, a, a Reggie Bush light uh, as a freshman. I mean, his his skill set's just incredible. And Malapai, a uh, more traditional runner, but he's really talented. And I guess with the USC room, like, yes, they, they didn't run the ball as much as a typical USC team uh, would last year. And they probably won't this year as well. But there's still so much talent with this group. And so I, I agree with Rob. I, I have them as number two as well. Rob, one of the things that, or I'm sorry, Max, one of the things that I've learned from Alicia D'Artola and Raina Troy, who does an excellent job covering uh, her and Michael over there uh, is the emphasis on blocking and obviously a questionable offensive line coming back for USC, but they really do try to instill a sense of being able to protect the passer. Do you see that when you're taking a look at USC's running game, like just their ability to block and pick up blitzes? Well, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think that USC, um, I, I think having that pass block focus definitely lends it, lends itself to some part. Um, but I don't know, like, I, I guess with, uh, with Drevno, I mean, he's still an experienced enough offensive line coach. So yeah, I, I, I think, well, I don't know. It's just it's hard for me to really trust a USC offensive line, just seeing how they struggle uh, season after season uh, in some games. And and, and last year uh, they were better than I think most of the previous uh, seasons. But 
yeah, I mean, they still have talent, but sometimes as a, with the with the running backs, they might have to, I guess, uh, utilize a little magic of their own. And if there's a, a free defender uh, in the backfield, maybe uh, juke them out and then get some open space um, using their using their feet instead of uh, blocks occasionally. Hmm. Uh, I'm looking at the other teams here. And I would certainly put Oregon and USC in that top tier. Um, but there's a couple teams that might be able to squeeze in there. Um, I'm curious, Max, if there's anybody else that you think um, are far and away better than the rest of the conference in terms of their running back situation. No, I would have Oregon and USC on their own tier. And then the second tier, I'm looking at more um, individ- like individual running backs that I, I think are primed. Uh, to really succeed, but might not have necessarily the depth. So my favorite running back in the conference this year, even though I'm not, uh, I'm maybe a little nervous about how his new coach is going to utilize him, but I love Max Borgie. I mean, he is such an incredible threat, uh, receiving threat. And when he, and even running the ball, he was really impressive last year. He averaged over six yards a carry and he's just this do it all. He's a uh, running back. He's a perfect prototype at the next level too. Um, I love his game and Washington state. I mean, they, they do have a Notre Dame transfer and they do have a couple and they do have a couple of three stars as well. But I think Borgie, I think Borgie is the best running back in the conference. So I'm, I'm putting them third. Yeah. Borgie is the workhorse by far. He was a tank 800 yards on the ground, 16 total touchdowns. He also had about 600 yards receiving. And like you mentioned, Max, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Rolovich is able to utilize him, but he has a heck of a tool there. Deion McIntosh was interesting. I thought we would see more of him. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say, like, we're going to see. It's hard. I guess it's interesting to say I thought we were going to see more of a second running back and a complete air raid. Um, but there were times where Leach was able to utilize multiple backs. McIntosh had 111 yards. He he averaged seven yards a carry and a touchdown, a couple of touchdowns through the air as well as most of the running backs do in that system. Um, but a decent second banana there to Borgie. But Rob, would you put Washington State at the the top of the second tier here, or do you think uh, are you more bullish on another team? No, I, I agree with Max. I mean, I think uh, Borgie's that good. I, I mean, I I think he is legitimately like he's gonna he's gonna get his name called earlier than people might expect in the draft. Um, I mean, I say that like don't draft a running back high, be smart. But he's a like he he's like he's gonna fit in at the next level. Um, I am I am a little worried. Like he you know Rolovich didn't use the running backs a ton at, at Hawaii. Um, you know, as Max pointed out last week, and that. Yeah, like how is he going to fit in? Um, but Rolovich isn't a dummy. Like he'll figure out how to use a weapon like Borgie, I bet. Um, and then I, I mean, I, I guess I think of it like as like this next year, like the the next team I would maybe put here is a team like that, where Oregon State, like Jamar Jefferson, like a, a workhorse back. They're not returning a lot. I mean, he's a guy that I think you could really like you could make a lot of hay with, and or and Ron Jonathan Smith is going to lean on this year. Yeah, it's funny because we put a lot of focus on Jefferson just because he had such a breakout year as a freshman. But Artavis Pierce was the star. I mean, he really tore it up. Now, yeah, I, I want to like preface that by he got injured. Yeah, ex- before, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he was injured. Jefferson, I had, I mean, clearly had a nagging injury throughout the entire year, and you could just see that he didn't quite have it. But even with the injury, 685 yards, eight touchdowns on the year as uh, splitting time with Pierce. So really, an awesome 
uh, showing with that injury. B.J. Baylor is somebody that kind of broke out onto the scene. He had about 150-ish, 175 yards, averaged about six yards a carry and three touchdowns. So you have a second option there that was able to show some flashes in limited time. My big thing is always like, you know, you take a look at that second banana that only gets like 200 yards, and oftentimes they'll average max seven yards a carry, and you're like, oh, this guy's going to be awesome. But once they get more reps, you can kind of see that uh, that average wear down a little bit. But I thought Baylor was pretty impressive, and they also were really sneaky, Oregon State, in bringing on some interesting talent that Ter- uh, it was a Taron Madison was a number 28 running back in 2019. He had offers from Oregon, Utah, and Washington. So some high-level um, teams were trying to look for his services. Isaiah Newell was the number 50 back of 2020. He had offers from Oregon, USC, and Utah. So the fact that Oregon State was able to pull those guys in, and we probably won't see him on the field a ton this year, but seems like they have a pretty big uh, roster back there that they can rely on for the coming years. Yeah, and it may, they're going to need Jefferson to revert back to the version that he was two years ago because we just – or I, I was I ranked Oregon State's quarterback room either – I'm pretty sure I ranked them the second worst than we had Colorado only worse because I have no faith in Tristan Jebbia at all. And yeah. so they're going to need Jefferson to have a monster year. And I, I, I agree with Rob. I think with Jefferson's upside from two years ago – like for me, it's between Oregon State and Cal because I really like uh, what Christopher Brown did last year. But I'm going to give this slight edge to Oregon State because I think Jefferson has higher upside. When Jefferson broke out, I mean, it was really, you know, Pierce had gotten injured very early on. And Jefferson then became the workhorse. And I mean, with Jefferson, with Pierce gone and he was awesome, too. Um, I, I expect Jefferson to to make some hay, but they're they're losing a lot on the offensive line, too. It's not just the quarterback that they have to replace. So it'll be interesting to see. But they have uh, Mahalchek, the, the offense, the old offensive line coach at Cal in Arizona. And he's he's pretty good at what he does. So I, I, I think they'll be good. Who do you got next, Rob? So I, I disagree a little bit with Max here. I would put because I think that there are two really solid running back rooms that don't have um, that don't have a starter returning really. And uh, that would be like Washington or Stanford. Um, I like Washington a little better here just because I'm a, I'm a big believer. I think Richard Newton, who was injured a little bit last year, I really like the way he ran. Um, and I think that I, th- I think he'll fit in pretty well. Um, they're bringing in uh, Josh Donovan, he should run something fairly balanced. Newton should get some carries. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd put I'd put Washington here. Um, yeah, that's just me. Yeah, Max Newton had 500 yards basically on the season. He had 10 touchdowns. It was pretty impressive. Then you have Sean McGrew, and then of course Washington has been on the recruiting trail and done a good job there. Cameron Davis was the number 10 back of 2019. Uh, Javian Sunday was the 38 back of 2020 with offers from Utah, Colorado. So have some, um, some production that is kind of filtering down there a little bit lower on the depth chart. And, but of course the big story is losing Salvan Ahmed and it's just whether or not Newton and McGrew could step up and be, uh, really the duo that they're going to need to be able to move that football. Yeah. And, and Washington's definitely talented. I mean, Newton and McGrew, um, they definitely both flashed, whether it was Wildcat or just I-Formation. Um, I mean, they they both have talent for sure. But I guess with Christopher Brown, he, he's just such a load to tackle. He That's is true. a B. And, and I think that if anyone 
can replace that Zach Moss persona in the Pac-12 that just like really, really uh, tough guy to stop. I think it's Brown this year. You're talking about Cal, right? The the head running back yeah. of Cal? Yeah. I was yeah. actually going to ask you, so I, I mean, yes, I was impressed with Newton. Yes, he had limited reps and was able to, uh, to perform fairly well. He had about four yards per carry, but the 10 touchdowns. And it was fun watching him run. I just really liked him. But like you mentioned, Max, Christopher Brown was solid. Then you have like Marcel Dancy, who's pretty good back as, as the number two there at Cal. I don't know. I'm like... I don't want to dump all over Washington because we kind of did that last podcast, but I like Cal's running back room a little bit better than, than I do Washington's just because I liked what Christopher Brown was running through. So would you put Cal ahead of Washington? Oh yeah. So I, I have Cal five and Washington six. Okay. And then they also brought in Chris Street. This is Cal. They had a four-star running back in 2020, number 21. His name's Chris Street. He had offers from Florida, Oregon, and USC. Deshaun Collins was a number three guy there, too. So they have three backs that have been able to prove that they can get the production going. But, Rob, I mean, let's let's put this on your shoulders here. Are you going to throw Washington out in the river again and make Andrew Percival mad? What what, what are we going to do here? No, I mean, I'd still pick the Huskies here. Like, I, I... I like, I mean, Sunday is sort of like a throwaway back that they signed in 2020. I mean, they may really like him. He didn't really have a a great offer sheet and he was pretty far down, but they also have a pretty stacked running back room that they've recruited very well with that they really like. And uh, Cameron Davis, again, like a, 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 a solid back that uh, is sitting right behind McGrew and Newton there. Like I, I like what Washington's got more than I like what Cal's got, I guess you could say. Although, um, it'll be inter- it'll still be interesting to see like what does this Cal offense look like with Musgrave this season. Yeah, numbers on Chris Brown: 914 yards and eight touchdowns on the ground. He had four touchdowns through the air as well, so has shown an ability to to be productive in the backfield. Pa- pa- catching passes as well so um really interesting on him i'm trying to see like who else would sneak in there in the second tier here we've talked about oregon state we've talked about oregon um i liked colorado's uh one-two punch with alex and well hold on give me i know i know give me a sec give me a sec and jared mangum because they were young and they were productive but that production it, it, it came in spurts there was times where like dang those guys are awesome but then you if you look at their stats over the course of the season Fontenot 4.7 yards per carry Magnum four yards a carry and didn't quite live up to the hype so I don't I don't know like sounds like Rob you wouldn't put them in that second tier I mean I would take Stanford ahead of them because I just like the talent better like yeah Stanford's kind of stunk it up run blocking but I think that's more on the offensive line than I think the backs Um, here's here's my problem with here's my problem with Stanford though uh, I mean, would you wouldn't you take like EJ EJ Smith would start at Colorado tomorrow as a true freshman? Yeah. So number three back of 2020, he had offers from Georgia, USC, Ohio State. So him coming up, but he's an he's an unproven commodity right now, right? Um, I thought it was crazy town that Cameron Scarlett was starting at Stanford, and nobody can unseat him because I didn't think he was very good. And um, Austin Jones, who was the number five back in 2019 was fine, but certainly wasn't good enough to knock off what I thought was a mediocre starter. That That's kind of what gives me a little bit of pause here with the, the three guys. I guess the- like when you continually see all these guys, you're like, oh, man, like they forgot how to run the ball. Like Bryce Love can't run the ball. Like Cameron Scarlett can't run the ball. Austin- yeah, but Cameron Jones Scarlett can never the run the ball, though. All that these was- guys can't run the ball. No, but it's like I, I guess I look at it like, like – 
the offensive line is clearly a problem at Stanford. And David Shaw has not, I'm not like, he hasn't fixed it. It hasn't been the same since Blomgren went off to be the head coach at Rice. Um, there is something still to figure out. And like, I, I guess if you were, if you were going to like, it's hard to rate here. Like it's hard to separate the running backs from the offensive line. Um, so I don't know that any of these guys at Stanford are going to have a huge year, but if you look at most of these guys, a lot of these guys would be starters in half the conference on, on half the conference's teams. What do you think, Max? No, I agree with Rob. Um, I, but there also has like, I think at least for me, I would take Christopher Brown this upcoming season over any of the Stanford running backs, but I yeah, think it's going to be featured. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in, if we're arguing Stanford versus Colorado, then as much as I was impressed with Fontenot and Mangum, uh, this past season, I think that the Stanford are, or at least with the uh, top end backs that their talent is intriguing enough for me to roll the dice there. Yeah, the pedigree's there. They have the number five, number nine, and number three backs in like three subsequent years. But man, that the fact that you couldn't unseat Cameron Scarlett, just that's a, a warning light on my end. And like you mentioned, Rob, the offensive line is clearly an issue, and it has been an issue. Stinks. And Hipploday yeah. brought that up where he's like, Stanford can't run block. And we're like, no, no, Bryce yeah. Love is good. And they're like, oh, snap, Stanford really can't run block. That's, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Bryce Love is good. Like Stanford can't, Stanford can't block. Well, at all. Let's move Stanford up into that second tier and bump out Colorado. Is there anybody else that would be in that second tier in the conference before we go to the next one? Well, I so my cutoff, I would say for me, I think that I would have Oregon USC as one tier, then Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford, and that's another or uh Cal Washington and that's another tier. And then Stanford leads off the third tier for me. I'm going to jump in on that front. Like I, I, I want to see it from Stanford first. And I know that the pedigree is there, but I'd like, I just don't know if I'm willing to bump them up into that second tier. Um, but certainly we'll put them ahead of Colorado, but let's get into who else joined Stanford right after this. And we're sponsored by Simply Safe, which is pretty exciting. So every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm is real. Is there really a crime going on or not? They don't know. You don't know. All the alarm company can tell you is that the motion sensor went off. Simply Safe home security is different. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime, which means that police dispatch up to 350 times faster than a normal burglar alarm. That's hard to say. Normal burglar alarm. I feel like wrong burgundy. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry motion and glass break sensors, guards inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. It's 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals, and you can set up the system yourself with no tools needed, or Simply Safe can do it for you. And that's only for 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get a free shipping and 60 day risk free trial. You got nothing to lose. Go now and sign up for simplysafe.com slash overtime so that they know that our show sent you that is simplysafe.com slash overtime. Rob, we got we got Stanford. Who are you going to put under Stanford here? I mean, it gets really messy down here. <laughs> I mean, so like if you were just running through this, like there's some, there's, there's, some, there's some teams that have some intriguing, like 
talent signed. I think like you would say Arizona state there. Um, I know Utah really liked who they had behind Zach Moss. Um, you know, that said, I mean, it's tough to replace Zach Moss. I'm actually going to say like, but top to bottom though, I mean, because, and they use a lot of these guys, I, I think Arizona, um, and I say this fully knowing like Arizona's interior run stunk this last year and they struggled on outside zone with some wide receiver blocking, but these guys in the passing game were pretty good. Um, and I think having Khalil Tate out and having Gunnell in um, could make a difference. But I think like, just if you go down the list of like guys that got, got a lot of snaps, get catches, um, you know, Brightwell, Smith, Tilford, Wiley, um, all those, all those guys got reps last year, uh, and played pretty well. Yeah. If you go down that list, all three of them that you mentioned, let's cross off Wiley for a second, Brightwell, Tilford and Smith all averaged about six yards a carry and had more than 200 yards on the ground. So, um, each one of them was pretty productive in their time. We've always been a fan of Gary Brightwell. Um, I kind of knocked him down a peg when JJ Taylor got hurt. Cause I thought, Oh, and, and I think we talked about this on the podcast, Robin Max, we were like, oh, okay, well like, you know, even though he's out, you know, Brightwell's a really solid backup. I don't think they're going to miss that much. And I think they did. I thought JJ Taylor was really good. And when you missed him, um, yeah. I thought the running game missed a beat. So, but that doesn't mean that like, this is why they're in the third tier. <laughs> so you still have some guys that are pretty right. good, not great. And three of them max. Yeah, and I guess for me, like, I would go Stanford, then Colorado. Um, Arizona's definitely an interesting argument. One that I'm going to throw out at you guys, I really like Dimitri Felton. Like, re- I think he's incredibly oh, I agree talented. Um, I just don't know. I, I think he's more of a hybrid than a running back. But if we're just going off of talent, uh, I just – I. I think Felton can be a total game breaker for UCLA. I, 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 um, I was really impressed with what he did last season. I hear you, but isn't Felton isn't Felton like the only reason to watch UCLA's offense? I mean, like, I mean, like he was well, he mean, started I, that Cincinnati game that I went to last season, and he was the only just about the only player worth watching on offense for the Bruins. Well, if you like comedy, DTR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he had some he had some ky in his hands this season like it was <laughs> but yeah no but felt felton is legit uh, he's very legit i just don't know how chip kelly is going to use him yeah that that was my pushback was um ha- like does Kelly know how to use him? Is he going to use him well? Because there were times where he was awesome. And then there was times in games where like, he didn't get the ball for, you know, like an entire quarter. And I'm just kind of looking out there going, you don't have a lot out there, man. Like, who are you going to give it to? Just give it to, to Felton. Um, and with that said, he had about 900 yards on the, on the season. So almost a thousand yards, about nine touchdowns. So he was productive, but I don't know. I, he, he certainly is an excellent talent, but I don't know whether or not Kelly's going to be able to use him in a way that's going to be effective. But what do you think, Rob? No, I agree. And beyond Felton, there's there's not a ton to love there. I mean, Irby's the guy that they got from Arizona at the last minute. Um, you know, Casimir Allen, everybody raves about the track speed, but the on-field production really hasn't been there. Uh, and, and White, I don't know. I mean, like, you're, you beat out Hawaii and Akron for a running back UCLA. 
<laughs> Congratulations. Hang your head in shame. <laughs> I, I was really excited about Casimir Allen because when you thought about Chip Kelly – Obviously, he was running a different offense when he, you know, when he was at San Francisco and even when he was at Philadelphia. Like, all right, you got this really fun uh, track athlete. Like, that could be really exciting. And he just did not perform on the field. I was really bummed. And two two seasons ago, he was like my sneaky dark horse pick in our Pac-12 fantasy league. And then he never saw the field the entire year. So obviously, the track speed doesn't always equate to production on the field. But I would I would put UCLA below. Arizona, I would put them below Colorado. Um, I know Felton is. I put them below ASU. Like I think ASU's incoming talent was really good. Yeah, AJ Carter, who had offers from LSU, UCLA, and Arkansas. Demetrius Flowers, who had offers from uh, Wisconsin, UCLA. It was interesting because they lost Eno Benjamin, obviously, and a lot of unproven talent. Isaiah Floyd and Paul Lucas both transferred who were all uh, running backs, but it seems like there are some really solid young people. I mean, if you want to really stretch, like they had the number eight back of 2020 who had an Alabama Clemson and LSU offer max. And then uh, DeMonte, uh, I think it's Tranium who also was a four-star back with offers from Ohio state, Florida, LSU, and Michigan. So a ton of pedigree with some really big offers. None of it proven yet, Max. Yeah, and I still like Stan- Stanford running back. I guess that's why we ranked them higher is more impressive pedigree. But you're right. I mean, Arizona State, they definitely have pieces. Losing Eno Benjamin's going to hurt. Um, he's. I, I just felt that with the offensive line that he had last year, he didn't have much of a shot yeah. on a lot of his carries. But still, he, he was a really talented back. Um, I don't know. It's tough because I think for me, it's between Arizona State and UCLA for the last spot, but I like Felton too much. So I think I'm going to have UCLA. So I would do Stanford, then Colorado, then Arizona, then UCLA, then Arizona State. What about you, Rob? Oh, oh wait, actually, I, mean, I, forgot, I forgot about Utah. I would have, I would have Utah above, I would have Utah above UCLA and Arizona State. What would you? Rank yeah, on? I agree with that. I, I would. I would have Colorado further down, um, partly because I just I don't. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think either of those guys were serious threats. Um, Chivarini's taking over the offense. I have. Just, I, I could not be. I could not be more down on Colorado right now. <laughs> Sorry, Colorado fans. Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I, I agree on Felton. My question, like, is 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 Felton playing in the slot? Uh, the majority of snaps um, and they did, they did that a lot with them last season. Although with Kelly gone, maybe they do move him back. Um, I do. And I, I like this Arizona state, the younger guys, but as I was just thinking like without spring practice and I know, I, I believe both of them, their young guys were in for spring practice. I don't know that they're going to, uh, in the accelerated world that we're going to live in when everybody's allowed outside, um, be able to make as much of an impact as they might expect. We'll see. But I do I mean, I like, I mean, Utah really liked what they had. They, they were less, a lot of Utah fans were a lot less. I'm forgetting the guy's name that transferred to Texas tech. Armand shine. It hits me just as I say, I forgot it. Uh, <laughs> like a lot of Utah fans, when he transferred out this past year um, and he was good, a lot of Utah fans were like, no, nah, don't worry about it. Like, we, you know, we got this, you know, like they, they really like their talent behind uh, Zach Moss. I mean, it is a little wait and see um, that Utah offensive line 
also really stunk last year. Um, and Zach Moss, I mean, really carried a huge load uh, on that. So I, I, I'm interested to see if these guys, like, I, it is tough to replace somebody that is able to make up for that kind of deficiency. Um, and I'm interested to see, I, that said, I do think if there's anybody that could do it, it's Andy Ludwig um, and figuring out ways to get guys the ball in, you know, running in, in unconventional ways. But I don't know. Like, I mean, I say that, like, I may have just talked myself out of it because Ludwig, he still relied on Moss up the middle a ton. I mean, you got to be that. I don't know if these guys are. We'll see. I liked Devin Brumfield. I thought he showed some flashes, but I, like, I kind of put him in the same bucket as Alex Fontenot. Like I thought Alex Fontenot, there was times where I'm like, he's really good, but you know, bad offensive line, not great uh, play calling and just being young. So I think that there's some significant upside to Brumfield and Fontenot. Um, Brumfield, by the way, like 363 yards, 4.5 yards carry, he had two touchdowns. So he wasn't like, exploding on the scene but i just there was time i watched a lot of utah football i'm like yeah he's like i'm really interested to see how he grows as a player behind him is jordan wilmore who had 194 yards and a touchdown they still have tj green he's been hanging around there for a while it's interesting they recruited the number 12 back in 2020 and ty jordan who had offers from oregon texas usc and just a host of other people usually with those utah backs you don't see them see the field for like a year or two um but it'll be interesting to see whether or not that they move it's really bizarre guys that we're talking about utah so late down on that list <laughs> usually their running backs are always you know like in the in the premiere and maybe they are like there are those times where those guys pop back up you're like oh man i didn't even see that coming um i thought zach moss was somebody like that where he just exploded on the scene and really carried them for the last couple of years but um i just think it's bizarre that they're so far down the list this time um I mean, I, I, but Ludwig's not not wedded to run the. I mean, people think of Whittingham as being wedded to running the football, but Ludwig's not. I mean, he if he has to throw the ball to to put up points, he will. Uh, and you know, with Bentley and what they have coming back, uh, at least in the QB room, like it, it, they may be they may throw the ball more this year. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking at ASU and just taking a look at the talent they have on paper, and it's really hard to. F- to peg them anywhere because if any of those, yeah. let's say two of those four guys are, are legit living up to what their talent is. You got to put them ahead of Arizona. You probably put them ahead of Utah maybe, but man, that loss of spring practice is really going to be a problem there. Um, I don't know. I, um, let, let's, let's do this here, Max, your top three running backs. Let's do top five, top five running backs in the conference. So this is individual. Individual, yeah. All right, so uh, Borgie one, Burdell two, Jefferson three. I'll go. I'll go. Um, Christopher Brown four, and USC every running back five. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Rob? Uh, I mean, I would swap, I mean, I would have Borgie one. Um, I would have Jefferson two. Um, cause I think if you feature him, he's going to have that kind of a big year. Um, three Brown. Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, four, I mean, man, it starts like we start getting a little deep here. <laughs> like, um, four, I mean, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Riddell. 
Um, I like I, I do like Purdell a lot. I'm not. I, I just think I think Brown carries a lot of load for Cal. And then five. I actually I think Stephen. This is Stephen Carr's year. I'll go with it. Okay. One thing to bring up that we didn't mention with UCLA is they did get the transfer of uh, that Duke player, Britton Brown, who had a pretty solid freshman year. He had 700 yards, seven touchdowns, averaged 5.4 yards a carry, and then had multiple shoulder injuries. So he's been out with significant injuries in the last two years, in 18 and 19. He comes over. I don't know if he starts, but he certainly adds a little bit more um bodies to kind of a thin roster there at UCLA. So I don't want to ignore him as we, uh, as we close out this segment. Okay. Well, let us know if you have, if there's running backs that on your team that you think are uh, either overrated or underrated, or we should be covering more, let us know. Can't promise that we will. We'll take a look at it and then we'll assess from there. But I always like the feedback from people on, because you know your team better than we do. And, um, uh, and it's always nice to get more, um, more people to put on our radar. With that, I really want to talk about the the Pac-12. We've been covering, to some extent, the financial situation. Rob, you and I last year covered this at length, so we've pulled it back a little bit, but it's still an issue. And the NCAA tournament being canceled and just the lack of revenue that's going to come to these schools, um, and it's almost like a triple up, trickle up effect with some of these smaller schools, or it's really going to make a big difference. Let's talk about that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. And if you didn't know yet, the NCAA tournament was canceled. <laughs> Conference championships were canceled. Spring practice was canceled. And really want to talk about the financial impact that this could have on the Pac-12. A few episodes again uh, ago, we were talking about how the Pac-12 was in this weird situation where UCLA kind of dangled out the idea of like, hey, y'all, we make a lot more money than you guys do. And, uh, you know, it'd be... It'd be It'd be stupid for us not to explore our options. Well, now you have a situation where finances are going to be really tight for schools on an academic side and on a sports side. And the NCAA just lost, I would put it around $700 million. I was looking at some of the articles, guys, where there was, you know, they lose a billion dollars in revenue from canceling the tournament. But their insurance kicks in roughly around $250 million, and that's going to be a whole legal battle. But they'll recoup some of it. But that revenue that's not going to schools is going to really shake up Division One athletics. And, Rob, I know you've been keeping an eye on just the finances in general. What do you think after kind of walking through uh, possible scenarios to not having that revenue or, and possibly future revenue? We don't know how long uh, the season's going to be canceled. We just canceled all of spring games um, for baseball and softball. And uh, we don't know about football yet. Yeah, this is going to be tough for, I mean, this is, we talk about the Pac-12 and the finances sometimes as if the Pac-12 is a, is a struggling, like a, like a struggling pawn shop. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be even harder down the line for this very small schools and the very small conferences, because they rely almost entirely on the revenue that they get from the NCAA. Um, for the Pac-12, though, 
this is going to, this is going to hurt. I mean, everybody gets, everybody, you know, gets a chunk of this NCAA tournament money that comes in and is distributed out from the conference. Um, I, I think too, like if you look, I mean, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I mean, there's also a real danger on top of it that you lose, like that there are football games that if they are played this, this fall, um, that they're played in empty stadiums. Um, and that hurts, you know, as well. And I, I think that if you look at schools here, like a lot of schools are basically right around break even, uh, almost always on, on, uh, on their revenue and their spend. Um, spend hasn't spend has not gone down. Like the cost side of this, I mean, other than like canceling recruiting, um, like, and, and, you know, maybe you're able to lay off. And I know there have been, um, some layoffs on event staff at some athletic departments, um, you know, as they deal with this as well, there's, there, there, there are going to be some, if you will, there are going to be, you know, some, some costs that they're still carrying though. That they're not able to get like, you still have the costs of all the student athletes, all the scholarships, all the feet, you know, the feeding them, the stipends, the power five conferences are paying out. Um, all of that's there. And, you know, if there are a lot of schools that are in the Pac-12 that are struggling already to make ends meet, um, you know, UCLA ran a big deficit. Cal is almost always behind on money. They had to get serious help from uh, main campus to help offset with some of what they had in their debt service. Um, you know, there's not a lot of Pac-12 schools right now that are, you know, without some serious donor help to come through that are going to be operating in the black this next year. Yeah, and most of the donors are looking at their businesses or investments and going like, Hey, I'd like to help out, but I can't help out at the level that I want to. I think also when you take a look at some of these schools, like they're going to be hit financially. So there's a situation where normally, so a good example would be like Cal, you know, Cal gets some help from the university. I think UCLA even might get a little bit of help. Let's stick with Cal because I know about that situation. Um, And I know Arizona is similar to this where Arizona uh, athletics has generally run in the black because of college basketball and that continues to float all the other programs. But if that were to dip down, one would assume that they could work with the university for financing to help, you know, carry through a couple of years like Cal has, but now all these universities are going to have budgets that are significantly lower. And when you're a research university and you take a look at your priorities, um, I think trying to bail out a number of programs that have sky high costs anyway, um, might not be the number one option for that type of money. I don't know, Max, I'm, I'm curious. It's just, I mean, we could do this for any industry, like all the ripple effects of just losing a significant amount of money very quickly. Um, how do you think it influences the Pac-12? Well, I, I think that obviously one, one of the best ways for teams to improve is, is hiring a, a good staff and head coach, assistant coaches. So financially, it's, it's a trickle-down effect because you're losing out on an opportunity to build a good staff. Uh, which then leads to recruiting, and then also uh, you won't have enough uh, revenue for facilities. And so it just – it basically solidifies the Pac-12 as this middle-of-the-tier conference. And getting any additional revenue opportunities, whether it's from the tournament and now if college football, if let's say for the start of the season that there's no fans that attend the football games for the first month of the season – and that's another opportunity lost. And it's just that I, the conference 
how it's stationed in San Francisco and, and that it's spending so much money there. I feel like that they start need to they they really need to start being more economical with how they with how they spend their funds, especially with the lack of revenue that Pac-12 Networks is drawing, and just because it's really going to hurt the schools in several different areas, and it's not going to lend for more social or maybe not social mobility, but I guess upward mobility uh, for schools that are stuck in mediocrity. You know, one area that'd be interesting to see what happens is, uh, I wonder if Carl Durrell is seen as like the pinnacle of college football, crazy town spending, you know, after this, right? Because I'm assuming you don't see the contracts at the same level. Uh, maybe, you know, like just, to, I hope, I hope you do. That means that the economy ends up coming back and, and there's definitely money to spend, but there's a scenario where all of the coaches that got these really nice contracts stay at their schools so that they can keep said contracts rather than jumping to other schools that can't offer the same amount of money that they used to anymore. I don't know. It's a, a, Rob, does that seem like a scenario or is that a little bit too far, you know, doomsday? Well, no, it just, it just hit me. This is how busy I am of like, I'm sure everyone has been busy in the last like you all of us have sort of longed for the distraction of sports. But the Pac-12 is going into negotiations this year. Yes. And like, I mean, you if if the market were if the market were to go down, like and the Pac-12 has to go sign a like then Larry Scott, it behooves him to spend to sign as short a deal as he can. Um you know, and try to come back into the market. Um, Cause if he does a real dumb in this case, and let's say the market is down that, you know, that they're not giving out, you know, big time money, like, cause the PAC 12 went first last time. And so their deal was a little bit smaller than other, uh, other, you know, conferences that came in later. Um, you know, this time, like the SEC has gone ahead. Um, they're, they've set the market. The PAC 12 is obviously not going to match with the SEC just got from ESPN. But the Pac-12 was, was was clearly going to improve on their you know ten year old deal uh, that they had out there. But there is a chance that you know that companies are hurting um, you know here, and that there are that they do come back and that they're they get a, a smaller offer than they would have expected, and that's really going to hurt and put pressure on the Pac-12 um, because those other contracts are already signed. I mean, the SEC is is going to get that money. The Big Ten is going to get the the money that they were owed, um, you know. And they're they're the the Pac-12, you know, was was really looking to try to play catch up here, and they could they could be in a tough spot. So just keep an eye on uh, how things proceed with that, because if if the market is down and it does put and it does put downward pressure on you know the Pac-12 uh, in contract negotiations, then if Larry Scott is indeed a sharp operator, he should only sign a two or three year deal. Yeah, I mean Cal is is Oof, Cal and UCLA. Cal and UCLA. I would I would add now and not at the same level, but certainly one to keep an eye out for is Arizona. You have um, possible NCAA sanctions coming. You had Rich Rodriguez buyout that is still on the yeah. hook. You had Sean Miller's legal fees, which are likely and the university legal fees, not just from Sean Miller, but from uh, other sexual Everything assaults. under Greg Burns' watch. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that's a program, too, where you take a look at and you say how if there's a let's say there's a 25 percent dip in what was expected revenue coming in. I mean, now we're talking like I mean, that, that's that's significant issues. And if you're USC 
and you see schools whose athletic departments take another dip downward. Um, I don't know, Max, it, does that make it? <laughs> I mean, like the unknown is also really worrisome too, but um, if, if the PAC 12 does, does at or a little bit worse than they had expected, and now you're seeing programs that aren't going to be able to compete at the same level as USC. Does that make it more or less likely that USC is going to be looking around given the uncertainty everywhere else? I think I, I would probably say more if, if the Pac-12 disappoints just because, especially if they lock into a long-term deal and it is a disappointing uh, cash flow. But yeah. maybe like maybe if they do like a short-term, like maybe like a, a three or four if they're not getting – the initial um, revenue that they're expecting, maybe that could soften the blow a little bit, but that would still be really disappointing because Larry Scott, they have been hyping up this, this TV, this TV deal for as long as I can remember. And if they don't hit a home run, I mean, it's the schools are just going to come clamoring down and it it could be really ugly, but I hope for, I hope for the Pac-12 sake that they really don't lock themselves into a long-term deal unless it's absolutely perfect. The thing I'd like to keep a lookout for, and, I, and I'm opening this so that we can talk about it later, but there was a scenario just five to ten years ago, I forget what the timeline was, where the Pac-12 was looking at acquiring the Big 12. And, you know, oh, we have Texas and Oklahoma, we can bring them in, we can take their markets. Like, it'll be really interesting to see if there's, you know, obviously you have contracts and legal issues and all that stuff, but there's a scenario where you see a reshuffling of the conferences again. And uh, it, particularly with the smaller conferences, like the, I think they're the biggest at risk um, at this point. But let's say the Mountain West is a problem and let's say the WAC is a problem and the Pac-12 has some issues. Like, I think that just opens the door for a realignment again. It'll be I don't know, like, you know this better than I do, Rob. Is that a scenario that is plausible or like in the near term or um, or more so in the long term? I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting it's, to see what happens. It's somewhat plausible. I mean, the tough thing is, like, if you look at the problems that are, like, you look at, the, say, the problems in the Pac-12, the tough thing is, is, like, across the other conferences, like, you really only see with maybe, say, Clemson in the ACC, another sort of real power. I mean, you could maybe say Miami or Florida State in the ACC, too, if you want to be generous. Um, the you know, could be facing the same kind of financial deficit that USC would be facing because Texas, I mean, they have the Longhorn Network. I mean, Oklahoma makes enough money off their third tier rights too. Um, And the Big 12's got a pretty good deal on the first and second tier rights that they, you know, they're fine. They don't, they don't want to rock the boat, right? Like I get to play my, I get to play my regular rivals. I have, you know, some teams that I get pretty easy wins against most years. I mean, you know, you do lose to Kansas occasionally, I suppose, if you're Texas. Um, but, you know, like if you're Alabama, you know, like part of the cash cow here is that, I mean, you are, you've already won. Like you, you get to play all your local rivals. You get to have all the intensity of SEC football and you make way more money than anyone else doing it. I mean, the same goes for Ohio State. Like, why would you rock the boat? And so this... I do think that there is I do think the fact that they're like for a lot of the major powers in college football that they are set financially and they like the way this it is set up now. 
Um, and the fact that the Big 12 was able to stabilize itself and put Texas and Oklahoma in a position where they were financially fairly set compared to competing with other the rest of the college football powers, that I think that sort of stabilizes things in a way. Because if you can't move Texas, if you can't move Ohio State, um, or Alabama, I mean, there's no super conference forming. Um, and I think that then it gets a lot messier. Then it's like, all right, well, you know, what if, you know, some teams in the Pac-12 really just decided to jump ship and they wanted to play, you know, join the Big 12? The Big 12 might be open to that. I mean, they would, I mean, anyone, anyone would be open to conversations about adding USC. Now, some conferences might only take USC as a football member because they not, may not want to send their track team all the way to the West Coast. But everyone would have that conversation with USC um, for sure. But then what other – it gets messier when you start looking down the, like at the rest of the Pac-12 schools because a lot of them are – I mean, just fairly similar. They're, you know, some of them are bigger than others. Some of them bring better markets than others. Some of them have bigger fan bases than others, you know, outside of those markets. But it's that that part gets it's it is harder. That part is harder for me to sort of figure out because because I do think that people underestimate the stability around the rest of college football that money has sort of bought those programs like if you're Alabama, like, why, why would you care? Like if you're Ohio state, why would you care? What do you need more money for? You're already so far ahead on money and you get to play your rivals, you know, and have all of the tradition that in some ways make things work for you. Yeah. Uh, any last words, Max? Well, I think that, so I think the PAC 12 school with the, with the most dire financial situation, I think is obvious as Cal. And so, they, yeah. so I guess, are they not i feel like if they have like a 10 win or even a nine win season justin wilcox is gone and then i would be fascinated to, because he's going to be fucked by uh yeah. a better conference and i would just be, be fascinated to see the coaching search that goes on there so i feel like cal is kind of rooting for another eight and five year but what, i mean here's here's one what happens if chip kelly never pulls out of the nosedive at ucla I mean, UCLA ran a $10 million deficit last year. They basically don't fundraise. I mean, when people like UCLA is a sleeping giant and that like for some reason, Dan Guerrero basically never beat the bushes with uh, alumni for money. <laughs> I, have no idea. I have no idea why. Like, There's a whole article in the LA Times about this. Um, I mean, there's speculation that may have been that they didn't want to compete with fundraising for main campus. Um, but you know, if you're UCLA and you're stuck with Chip Kelly as he basically drives the program into the ground because you can't buy him out, like the pressure at UCLA is going to be immense, right? Like you better hope Mick Cronin like really works out. <laughs> and I mean, he has to, like he would have to get that program rocking too. I mean, I mean, you can get the revenue, but remember the revenue is shared if you make the tournament. Yeah. So it's more of a conference issue. I mean, he right. needs to get people in those seats at Poly, and he he did more so at the end of the year, which was which was good. It's good for the conference. It's good for the program. A good UCLA basketball program is good for the Pac-12. Um, but he's got to do that on multiple levels. Um, and that brand of basketball isn't all that exciting. I I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what he's able to do. But maybe they rely more on like the Arizona model, where you have a really good basketball program and football's the afterthought. Um, that yeah. that could happen. I don't know. 
Max, do you see a scenario where UCLA is able to? Because like Chip Kelly, like if you look at UCLA football this year, if if UCLA wins seven games, I would be shocked. <laughs> like the recruiting's not there. Like I mean, and and that let's say he goes six and six or five and seven again, and doesn't get the recruiting uh, bump that he would hope for. And, and even at that point, he hasn't been recruiting well. I mean, that's a program that's going to be a problem for the next two or three years. Well, Brian, you just said five and seven again. They haven't even won five games in each of his first two years. <laughs> that's true. <yeah. laughs> the high watermark. <laughs> uh, and it just, but seems, I mean, like, yeah. here's another one. What, what if, what if, you know, like, you know, uh, crystal ball gets poached, right? Like if you, I mean, Oregon's got, you know, the, the Nike money behind them. True. But at the same time, like, I mean, you know, like it's the, the, you know, can Nike finance Oregon to the point where Oregon is able to outcompete, you know, an sec power does crystal ball want to like, does crystal ball think he can make it as well? If it's if, like, let's say, you know, yeah. Auburn, I mean, Auburn's almost you know, every other year, Auburn's potentially coming open, right? Like Auburn, what if, you know, like what if Florida were to come open or something along those lines? Like, would Mario Cristobal take that job? I mean, I think, I, I, I think Cristobal is comfortable in Eugene because I would rather be at the premier program in a conference where many of the schools are Stay. barely even trying. The clown shows, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where, where, where Carl Durrell suddenly pops up on your radar. Yeah, because like, yeah, because like Cristobal. I feel like it, I feel like his floor at Oregon is maybe like eight wins, and but he'll I feel like nine to ten or yeah like a nine to ten like that's probably his average at Oregon, and if he were to go to Auburn, I mean just with all the SEC powers and, and Cristobal has that mentality that matches up with the SEC like recruiting twenty four seven recruiting over everything and not every single Pac twelve team has that and so he can win on sheer talent alone uh in the pac 12 just because those other schools don't have that mentality and the sec everyone has it and it and it could come down to who has the better staff or which coach is yeah. the best for game planning and in-game situations and crystal ball has assembled quite a staff uh for pac 12 standards but would he be able to do that at an auburn uh in the sec or a program with that similar stature especially when Auburn might I don't know if Auburn has the same ceiling that well I, I guess they do because they're in the SEC compared to Oregon but just compared to who Auburn has in Georgia and Alabama and LSU it, those are just three absolute powerhouses versus oh, yeah. Oregon's only competition really is USC and and Washington Jimmy Lake right? and that's Clay Hilton yeah <laughs> good luck well, that's it I mean like Dante he got his best recruiter poached by USC. True. I mean, that's this this year. I mean, like it's it's uh, even as we talk about like Oregon having like all the you know the, the Scrooge McDuck Nike money you know they can go swimming in in the world like uh, it, it they weren't able to keep keep Dante Williams um, and he's been just an, he's an electric recruiter. Um, I, I mean, I I agree. I mean, I think like it's a it's a tough road to hoe in the SEC. I mean, like we talk about like we like. We we skipped over it for like two like I mean, but A and M has crazy money. I mean they went and bought Jimbo Fisher. I mean they have crazy money. 
Like everybody in the SEC is loaded and ready for bear, but like it's it's tough to see in the Pac-12. Like I, although I mean, I mean South Carolina went out and hired Will Muschamp. I mean, as much as we give Colorado a hard time about Carl Durrell, like I mean, Will, Will Muschamp probably shouldn't be a head coach anywhere. I was gonna say Arkansas <laughs> hired Georgia's offensive line coach. I know. <laughs> I mean, like the problem, maybe like the problem really is, I think and this is fair. It's like they're really for all the money that is in college football, there are not a good enough good college football coaches for all the money that is running around out there. Um, and that's true. But I mean, the, the tough thing is, though, if you are uh, if you're the Pac-12, like, I mean, like, let's. Let's say Jonathan Smith gets rolling at, 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 at you know, roll, let's say rolling like eight or nine wins at Oregon State a year. Like, well, they got no shot. They've got no shot other than he's an alumni of keeping him. None. You know, and you could say that almost almost any coach in the Pac-12, you know, like they just have – if they really get going, Arkansas or South Carolina could come come and offer just you know back up the truck back up a truck of money on them like indiana like once the, you know with the new big 10 deal that's kind of you know coming down like they just back up like michigan state did back up a dump truck full of money like that's tough though, though i want to go back to cristobal though and flip look at this through a different prism because i'm not as worried about oregon because oregon has clearly shown that they have a dedication yeah, to winning good. and yeah. spending and yeah. both of those things are stapled together. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think one of the things that worries me about the conference is that clearly there is there has been some backbiting against Oregon's ability to recruit and Oregon's dedication to winning at, at, as a program. Um, that has worked, right? You you have some of the best players coming to Oregon. You have a program that is on the upside in its trajectory and a program that is operating like an SEC school. And when you take a look at how good Oregon was this year and the fact that none of their players, which is which is voted by the coaches, by the way, made first team all Pac-12, like that, that was on purpose. Like I, I don't see a scenario where those coaches don't have at least one or two Pac-12, like Oregon players in first team Pac-12. Um, you've seen some grumblings about this. If you listen to podcasts, ain't play nobody who's like very well connected in the coaching world. There has been a lot of grumbling against Oregon. And at some point, if you're Mario Cristobal, like you don't have to put up with that crap, right? Like, I mean, so there is that scenario where if the conference itself pushes too hard against Oregon for acting like an SEC school, then that, that can be a problem too. So I want to throw that out there and see what you guys think about that because um, I was fascinated by that kind of uh, outlook and that wasn't ne- it wasn't necessarily from an Oregon perspective. It was from a national perspective of people that are covering the coaching industry and how these <laughs> these Pac-12 coaches are talking about Cristobal and the Oregon program. Yeah, I, I just think that Cristobal, he kind of raises the bar for the rest of the Pac-12 coaches. And yeah, I, I mean, granted, I mean, Cristobal is in just such a good situation because Oregon has money. They have world-class facilities. They have a very enviable coaching staff. He kind of has it all. But I, I just, I think that the other Pac-12 coaches are being petty, if that is true, to be honest. Well, I'll say this, because they're not, they're, they're, they don't want to compete at the same way that Cristobal is competing. If Oregon wins the Pac-12, were to win the Pac-12 again this year, which is, even with all they're replacing with Joe Moorhead coming in, is not at all an unlikely occurrence. I was about Oregon. Oregon is the betting favorite. 
Like, yeah. they, or, or they will be the betting favorite to win the Pac-12. It won't be by – like, I could see, like, Oregon maybe, like, plus 150, USC plus 200, and then every other school is, like, at least 4-1. to one. Yeah, that, that sounds I – mean, but if you're I, – I guarantee, like, if Oregon – starts to really get rolling even i mean and and jimmy lake is not getting traction at washington some somebody because they were they go head to head in recruiting often enough like somebody's going to turn oregon in they're star like some some like <laughs> just, i just don't i don't believe that like the the pac-12 is ready to turn it on and start competing and recruiting like uh, an SEC school, and I, I think you see the sort of that negative feeling on that. I, I think Bryant's right there, and the rumblings, um, and that that could be that could be trouble because, like, I mean, you can get you get turned in on something like that. You could have a you know you could have significant recruiting sanctions. You could have you know bull bans, um, you know, and that might that might knock Oregon down a peg, but it doesn't propel the rest of the conference towards competing nationally. I don't know. It's it's an interesting time. You look at USC that went from top top twenty, even when there was uh, a lot of smoke around Clay Helton's job in terms of top twenty in recruiting to seventy eight. That's not just staff. That's not just Clay Helton's job is in trouble. It's a that's Bagman. It's it is a dedication to recruiting. That's how that that's that is my way. That is dedication. That is the that is the Bagman letting the new athletic director know that they would like a new coach. (laughs) That is uh, that is a commitment to SEC type recruiting. Interested to see uh, how that trajects over time. Let's let's stop the conversation here. And because, uh, Max, we had talked a little bit about uh, game of the year uh, prop bets at William Hill and some uh, possible season bets and odds and all that stuff. Let's talk about that next week. Um, and, well, let's preview. I don't know. What, what position do you guys want to preview next week? Let's do wide receivers. Yes. Keep on the offense. Except, yeah, I was about to say, I, already, I mean, like, number one, I feel like everyone knows. UCLA? It- yeah, I mean, I, I would. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Is it? Is it Utah? Like everybody's not. <laughs> That'd be the other one. Yeah, Utah. <laughs> there, there was that really good wide receiver I like from Utah, but outside of that. Um, Britton Covey, like yeah. just Britton Covey is all all heart, all catches, like everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's do let's do wide receiver. Let's talk about um, some of the bets of the year and and like kind of the early lines that are coming out. And uh, again, follow us on Twitter at Twelve Pack Radio. Uh, Max, are you are you starting to post more stories? I know it's kind of more difficult right now uh, in the gambling world. But yeah, so. I was definitely not writing any features now. It's it's more like uh, short pieces to accompany the odds being released for now. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a weird time uh, in the casino industry just because so many of the retail casino, like they're they're closed, like the strip is closed for I don't even like a month. And Jersey, uh, they just shut down all their casinos, so it's really being all done online, which is honestly probably the the future anyway uh mobile uh sports betting but yeah definitely a weird time but william hill we're still churning out odds for various different sports as well as um i mean we just released our nfl win totals this past weekend 
Uh, we'll have our college basketball uh, title futures for next season um, publicized tomorrow. But then we also have weird sports. Like we, we just uh, released sumo wrestling odds and table tennis <laughs> odds. So it, do you have eSports up? Like Fortnite? So eSports, e- e- I feel like, is a conversation that's happening in the industry. And, and some books are already offering it. I don't know how I feel about it. I, I, I don't know if William Post can go in that direction, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if we did. But I, I have to give William Hill's traders a lot of credit, like all the research that they're doing to come up with these lines for these new sports. It's it's crazy. Like I never thought in a million years I'd see sumo wrestling on our app. <laughs> right on. Uh, what's going on at Sharp College Football here, uh, Rob? So the conference is, I mean, just as like hanging by a thread, to be frank. I mean, just as not as uh, so I have. I have the ability to, um, for no cost, basically cancel, and then I will try to have a decision, hopefully by early April, on whether it's a tentative go forward or not. It's scheduled for the middle of June. Oh, I'm, let me let me stop you because it sounded like you're talking about the Pac-12 conference or the website. So you're talking about oh no, open like the Sharp College Football, the Open Source Football Conference. Um, like I'm, I, I intend to have a decision out so that people can make travel plans. Um, and all that. And if I, you know, if I have to reschedule, um, you know, when it will be rescheduled for so we can, you know, sort of appropriately like give everyone the heads up. Um, yeah. So stay tuned for that. I am like barely keeping up on a lot of things. I, I now have an 8am meeting every morning with the CEO and some other people at my company. So like, there's a lot going on on my plate at the moment. Um, but I am still keeping up with the countdown. Like we just got through uh, Maryland number 101 in the prediction for projections for next year. Um, so that's nice for like, we're going to be breaking into top hundred. Um, so we should have some more fun teams with larger fan bases to cover pretty soon. Um, and yeah, I mean, everything's up already projection wise season win totals. I have, you know, win probabilities and spreads for all the games up already. Uh, it's been tough. Cause like, it's been so crazy. And you're just like, man, like I, I, I actually have a lot of content right now. I just physically do not have time <laughs> to, to like push it out much more in depth than I've been able to. So hopefully life will sort of uh, slow down a little bit in the near future. I don't know. I could end up unemployed and then I will have time uh, and we'll just do nothing but talk college football then. But yeah, like there's, um, there's a lot going on. I also like, uh, if you are like needing a distraction in life and, you know, want to talk about your football team, do hit me up. I will try to make time to, you know, talk about the projections. Um, you can talk about why my math is stupid, that kind of thing. Right on. Well, we will have a backlog of information to talk about. Continue to record weekly. Uh, share the <laughs> share the podcast. If you like what we're doing, share it. It's a big help. Uh, write a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the other way you can help us out. And we will catch you guys next week.